Welcome to Infrastructure for a Better Future, a series where we have honest conversations about the infrastructure challenges we are facing and how we can build a better Aotearoa. In each episode, we talk to experts from here and overseas about what works when it comes to addressing these issues. Welcome to the Infrastructure Commission's podcast series. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about the Carbon Neutral Government Programme and particularly the work being undertaken by the Ministry of Education. So just to get everyone in the zone and provide a bit of background uh, context, the Carbon Neutral Government Programme aims to accelerate emissions reduction in the public sector. It requires public sector organisations, including state schools and kura, to measure and report their emissions annually, set emissions reduction targets, uh, produce reduction plans, and to offset remaining greenhouse gas emissions from 2025. We're very interested in the work that the Ministry of Education is doing uh, in this respect. They're undertaking a programme on behalf of all 2,500 schools and kura. Um, No uh, easy undertaking by any measure, I'm sure. Uh, And the first report is due back to the government uh, this December. We understand that the first step was to baseline emissions across all of the ministry corporate and the school network. We're very lucky today to welcome Tracy Finlayson, the uh, Ministry of Education Programme Director for Emissions Reductions. Uh, Tracy, welcome. Very keen to hear from you about the Ministry's programme and what you're working on. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Um, our, our programme is essentially set up to meet the requirements of the Carbon Neutral Government programme. So you have set those out in terms of measuring and reporting emissions. What we've done is create our first inventory for schools in Kura, which was um, a large part of my role, and then to look at how we actually achieve setting those reduction targets across 2,100 state schools in Kura, um, a very complex task, and also to plan and implement emission reduction initiatives based off our baseline and where it makes most sense to, to do so. Um, the setting a baseline, setting emission reduction targets, and working out where we want to focus our attention in terms of emission reduction initiatives is interconnected. So um, the better the baseline, the more complete the baseline, the better we are able to identify across our entire portfolio and our 2,100 schools in Kura where the best opportunities for reductions are. And by identifying those opportunities, we can deep dive and test what realistic targets actually look like, which is um, a really important part of my job is about what not just what the government's targets are, but also how can we achieve them. I'm really keen to unpick a little bit about this baselining um, from a a program management perspective. Um, I understand in in some of our previous chats, of course, you started with a blank sheet of paper. Um, There was no program, there was no emissions um, data. Uh, So really keen to, to have you talk to us a little about, you know, uh, how did you even approach starting this program and, and starting the baselining process? Yeah, well, I think um, I, uh, there was work that had been done prior to my uh, entrance into this role. In bits and pieces, we'd done some carbon reporting over 50 schools. We had some idea of what our emissions were going to be looking like. We have other programs that are running within um, 
within construction, within uh, other emission sources that we've got, which helped to kind of set a starting point for where I was going to begin. But essentially, I looked at the ISO reporting standard, so we're required to meet international standard for reporting on an inventory. And one of the things that I found really interesting about setting an inventory was that there was enormous scope to report um, across our entire organisation at different levels of accuracy. So ISO allows you to, um, to start from the point of uh, simply a dollar figure. So how much do you spend in construction? And to give you an idea from a construction industry perspective what that would look like for your emissions that are being that created as a result of that. Um, so what I did was start at that level. So right across the board, if we just started at what we spend, what would it look like? And then how do we make that more accurate over time? So I wanted to capture the entire organisation, both the Ministry of Education's role in schools in Kura, and also our school boards and what they were putting into the system. Very, very um, big scope, but I, my approach to that was I thought... The more we have and the more we understand the entire picture, the better we are able to create um, realistic targets about what to achieve and where to focus our attention. That was really important to me. If the, if the question was, where do you focus your attention for emission reduction initiatives in schools, how was I going to answer that question? Yeah. That was the question. I needed to answer it, and I went big to allow myself flexibility across our activities to do that. And how's the accuracy? There, there is greater accuracy to be achieved, uh, but it's a good start. Uh, it's a really good start. And basically, we, um, we've created models based on what we understand of the school system, based off the data we have. And we have extrapolated those models to all state schools. And we have also stress-tested and challenged ourselves on every single model that we've created within our inventory to ensure that it is accurate enough to base strategic decisions off. So I am confident that we have got enough of a starting point to do that. Um, I understand as part of the program you've uh, broken emissions down into four key categories. You've got transport, construction, energy and food. I'm really keen to understand from you why those four categories, and if you could tell us a little bit more about the thinking behind that. Um, so the, those are our top emitters. So our inventory tells us that our highest emitting activities on an annual basis are transport, construction, uh, food and energy in that order. Uh, we're tying energy into construction uh, but that's but that's really why we're focusing on those key areas as we're following the the inventory. Now, transport is a significant um, category for us because we are reporting on behalf of um, seven thousand students and one hundred and thirty five thousand staff and how they get to school every day. Uh, so, and we are also including in that the ministry's um, school transport network as well. Um, for construction, we have reported on around 450 completed construction projects across the ministry and school boards. That does not, um, that is only completed projects. Our construction portfolio is significantly larger than that and represents a spend of about $1.8 billion annually, which is completed both by the Ministry of Education directly and by school boards. 
uh, with food, that is our school lunches program. So our school lunches program, we are reporting on that this year, um, which represents uh, significant emissions as well. And then energy comes after that. So that's really our, our fuel sources, which is how we heat our schools, uh, diesel, gas and coal, and then the uh, electricity as well is tied into the energy. I'm starting to understand um, what an enormous task creating that first baseline must have been. Um, and I guess, I guess the benefit uh, in terms of establishing, again, a starting point um, for the rest of the program. But just talk us through again, um, in terms of the, the baseline, um, the benefit you see to the program of, of having that data in. I think it, it tells you where to focus your attention. So when I say that we've got, we're focusing on these four key categories, we're focusing on them because that's what the evidence tells us to do. And when you build, uh, when you pull together the data to report on an inventory to create the whole picture, this is what comes out of it. Are these big, are these, these big sources? And then you can actually go, okay, well, out of this massive thing that I'm undertaking, where do I start? focusing my attention and doing a deeper dive and getting more information, more data and exploring what the reduction initiative opportunities are within those big areas. And so for me, it just gives you a place to start. It gives you, it also gives you a language to communicate in. So when it comes to um, transport, for instance, it's mode of transport, kilometres travelled. And so we can take it down to how we've reported on it and then also communicate that when we're talking about our initiatives. And does this get publicly reported, Tracy? It is required to be reported to MFE, and they do release publicly some of the information. We will be releasing our report in its entirety on our website. Great. Um, and so tell me, um, the, the program's only been up and running for, what, a, a year? A year now? What, what's been the biggest challenge so far? Uh, certainly the scale and complexity, so you're 100% right. 2,100 entities across New Zealand, geographically spread. Uh, the amount of money that is invested in the state school system, both between what the ministry invests directly and school boards, uh, and trying to unpick every single activity that is undertaken by both the Ministry of Education and those 2,100 entities on a day-to-day -day basis <laughs> to understand this picture has been really complex. Um, yeah, the volume of data that we have poured over and pieced together, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, and I have, I have a, yeah, an amazing team that has, that has helped make that possible. Um, but yes, very difficult. Well, that, that leads me into the flip side, which is what's been the biggest success within the year? Um, yeah, so that is certainly my team. So building a very small uh, but high-functioning team that has, I think, achieved some pretty amazing things this year. And also one of the things that I really loved um, was how keen people were to help. So I think the ministry staff, uh, school boards and our suppliers have all come to the party in terms of giving us this data. No one, um, no one pulled back from that. Everyone was very willing to provide us with the data we needed to make this as accurate as possible. And so there was this incredible uh, open culture 
across so many people to just say, yep, you're doing this, this is awesome, I want to back you, I want to get behind you, and I'm going to give you what you need. And that's been incredible. Uh, because it shows that it's possible. We didn't have all the data sets we needed at the beginning of this process, and we uh, obtained a lot within a year to try to understand where our start line was. So I guess that's a, that's a good point. It sounds like the year's been information gathering, you refer to it as, as your start line. So for me, the next question is the, the, the start of what? Um, what? What's next in terms of actually taking this data and bringing in some reduction initiatives? What's happening? Yeah, so the next step for us, which is what we're currently undertaking at the moment, is a, it's a more detailed data analysis. So you take your starting point, we look at our big areas, transport, construction, food and energy, and we, and we fill in the gaps that we need to take that beyond a baseline to an emission reduction initiative. Uh, and part of that analysis is, and really significantly, uh, is the marginal abatement cost curve analysis and that's basically to understand uh, the costs and savings from different opportunities alongside the volume of emissions that could be reduced. So we want to have a comparison. This is basically where do you invest your time and money, right? So how much is it going to cost? What is the potential CO2 savings from that initiative? And how long is it going to take? And we're looking at uh, multiple emission sources at once. So we are looking at transport to start with, constructions underway and construction including energy and then we hope to focus on food after that. Uh, but that more detailed analysis allows us to create emission reduction programs. So from that we will have, um, we will be running pilot programs to test essentially the uh, accuracy of our modelling. So this starts from modelling, then we need to test whether that modelling is accurate through piloting and then we can expand the scope of the program from there. And uh, one of the programs that I think um, has already been talked a little bit about uh, is the coal boiler replacement program. Can you talk to us about that? Uh, yes, so the coal boiler replacement program has a target to remove all coal boilers by the end of June 2025. Uh, that is all funded and is due to be complete in 2025. They're still on target for that. And now we are currently exploring what is next for that decarb program. And again, it's, it's the, same, the same analysis that we apply across everything. It will be cost-benefit analysis in terms of what is the best way to do it, uh, how effective is it, and um, is this the right time? And over what time period do we want to be focusing on uh, pulling out the remainder of our boilers to uh, increase the electrification of school buildings? Well, well, that's another really interesting point, and we did a lot of good chatting before we hit the record button, but that <laughs> electrification issue is a really interesting one um, in terms of the, the lofty goals that we've got, but also the impact it's going to have on the national grid. Are you able to talk to us a little, little bit about that? Um, yes, yeah, so what we do know is we have around 450 um, gas boilers and about 90 diesel boilers um, that will still be in the system following the completion of our coal boiler replacement program. For every boiler that we replace, depending on the solution that we create for the school, that's an increase in electrification on the grid, which is increased load on the grid, which is why nationally we're investing in a lot of infrastructure to try and create more 
uh, electricity, the availability of electricity. And so I think that as we decarbonise um, and increase our electrification, there are important questions to be answered around what role schools can or should play in that space and how can we better manage the load on the electrical grid so that it is um, so that we don't have the peaks and troughs that we currently do um, and this is something that we're interested in exploring and it will form part of our analysis about what next for our decarb program and what solutions we explore for schools in terms of how schools should be heated uh, so what we intend to do is work with the industry and work with schools to find the right mix of solutions. No one solution is right, uh, and that comes back to having 2,100 entities that are across the full spectrum of New Zealand um, and across a whole bunch of different geographical areas. So I, it's a complex problem, and for us it's particularly complex because we have roughly 18,000 buildings. So managing electrical load across 18,000 buildings is... <laughs> and I imagine um, all those 18,000 buildings are in quite a, uh, quite a variety of states of repair and not all suitable for things like solar panels. No, exactly right. We have to take our portfolio of buildings as they are and so our strategy will be cognizant of that, certainly. Uh, and it also, and, and there are other ways to manage energy as well in terms of insulating buildings, um, passive heating. There's a whole bunch of technological stuff that we can pull into this to find what is the right set of solutions um, and particularly how much they cost. And what's the future look like for this program? What is our, uh, what is our school network and energy usage look like in 10 years? What's, what's the vision? Uh, well, I would say that we're, I think we are still finding our vision, but certainly I've got a couple of things. So right off the bat, we want to see a shift towards active and multimodal transport to and from school, thinking about the whole, the whole part of that problem, um, where we locate schools, where our students are, how do we enable more active modes, how do we enable multi multimodal transport, um, giving more consideration to when and why we build or expand schools. Uh, that's coming back to our construction emissions. How can we effectively lower those? What, what is the you know, full spectrum of options available to us? So where are our opportunities to build less, uh, build smarter, heat and operate our buildings more efficiently, extend the life of our buildings, and also repurpose them at the end of their life. So all of these things exist at the moment. It's just how do we, um, yeah, how do we align this with our asset management strategy? How do we align this with the goals of schools and the education system and work together to find a better way to do it? Does this connect in with uh, alternate models of, of, of teaching as well? And I appreciate that somewhat out of the infrastructure um, um, area, but you know this presumably connects into the ideas around you know more virtual teaching spaces. Um, you know, post COVID, we we taught in a different way, but it impacts what we're building and how we're using our buildings. Is there there's thinking going on in that space as well? Yes. So I think that there's uh, there's thinking going on at every level of that conversation, including how we deliver education um, and whether that needs to change. So I think that it's certainly up for discussion and something to consider 
uh, and something to work with schools to decide the best way to deliver education and reduce emissions while we do it. And the the um, the school lunch program um, gets a lot of a lot of press um, in, in respect of uh, the demand there. But you you mentioned that a few times in terms of that being quite a high emitter, and you're also working with suppliers uh, around changes to that program. That so that's an active issue. Yes, and look, we've got a we've got a fantastic team for our school lunches program, which has been really dedicated to lowering waste in our school lunches program and working with suppliers to work out ways to better manage waste um, and repurpose uh, food that isn't being eaten at the school. So I think there's some great programs that are going on there through that team that are run through that team that are already in place. What we were working on with our suppliers was to understand between the different suppliers what their individual carbon footprints were and aggregating that to a total for us to understand what our per meal um, carbon footprint was for the school lunches program. Uh, and what we want to understand is across the supply chain for our, for our food suppliers, where are our opportunities? So again, this is a, a it's a, it's a collaborative effort with our suppliers. We, um, we want to work with them to find opportunities, and we were really impressed with how many of our suppliers are interested in the same thing. I think this is something that lots of different industries are grappling with, and everyone is looking for solutions. So we found that people were really willing to work with us to get into this space where we can try and find them together and work out what our options are. So that is continuing. So in general, do you think there's, there's plenty of appetite within, within the market and the private sector to assist the government in this space? Yes, that's what I've seen. Uh, I think that it's coming to them both privately and publicly. So I think people are, are moving into a space where they know they need to do something. And if you can have good partners to help you work out what that looks like, that's a benefit to everybody. I know you've spent a little bit of time um, visiting um, schools and a variety of schools uh, around the country. Um, I, I know you've uh, made an effort not to, not to fly around the country doing so, but you have visited um, some schools. Is there a particular school uh, and an initiative that uh, a school is rolling out in this space that you can talk to us about, that one that, one that caught your eye? I think that um, I don't have a particular school I think that there are lots of schools um, who are working in this space that are interested, again, like our suppliers, in, in finding solutions and finding partners to find solutions in this space. And I think that the role that schools have played is a lot broader than simply um, CO2 or emission reduction, which is just a subset of understanding your environment and how they're engaging kids in their environment. So I've been really impressed by a lot of programs that schools are running to do both, not just to reduce their impact um, in a variety of different ways across these different emission sources, particularly in transport. There's a, there, are, there are a lot of active transport um, programs out there. Uh, and also in waste, so reducing waste at the school site and composting, all of that stuff is already underway in schools. Um, but yeah, I think what we're adding to the picture is um, giving an opportunity for students to to look at this through the lens of CO2, um, how it is uh, recorded and tracked, uh, and the individual impact that schools can have on reducing our overall number. Um, 
Tracy, thank you for your time. Maybe we'll have you back in a year and see how, how, it, how it's tracking. Thanks so much. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Find out more about the work Te Waihanga is doing to transform infrastructure in Aotearoa at tewaihanga.govt.nz.